maybe five minutes, so forgive my delayed reaction. But I think the one thing that I learned this week from that I felt like was a revelation from the Holy Spirit is how much I really love the affirmation of people and how much he really just wants me to get rid of that. And so um, uh, that's, that, that's, um, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a, a sermon outline done a couple weeks ago, um, and it was, it was, it was really good. Um, I was really excited about preaching it. And um, I, I was sitting at my kitchen table one morning, and I just felt like felt the Holy Spirit come talking to me a little bit. He said, Luke, really what you're most interested in is just looking smart. You just you just really want to preach that message because it's gonna sound good. And um, he gave me a different inspiration. I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> that ain't happening. Uh, so but here I am and um and and, and you know, I definitely have that sensation that Paul had when he said, he said, we're talking about the treasure that is Jesus Christ. He said, we have, we hold this inside of a jar of clay. It, just referring to the, the complete inadequacy of, uh, you know, we were talking about denominations this morning. It really kind of underscores that, you know, God has put this treasure of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in jars of clay. And we are really that fragile. And um, we get it right sometimes. We get it wrong sometimes. We kind of, you know, but the story, of, the story of the gospel is really a story of, 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 of God working through broken people. Just showing up and saying, all right, here I am, God. I'll preach that if that's what you want me to do. Um, and, and, and it's, and, and, uh, You know, somewhere around that same time, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote in my journal, um, I, I wrote, I said, I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. Has anybody ever felt that? See some hands. Okay, so I'm not alone. All right, that's, that's, that's affirming for me. Um, and, and, you know, I was just thinking through that. You know, what, why am I afraid of the Holy Spirit? What? Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is, you know, we believe, we, we, as you know, Christians, we've come up with the name, the term Trinity to kind of describe this, this interworking of three persons, uh, of a three-person a three Godhead. Um, and the Holy Spirit is one of them, equal in, 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 in nature and, and quality and value and authority to Jesus or to God the Father. Um, I remember years ago, probably 10 years ago, I was riding with a friend and we were chatting and I said, you know, I understand God the Father. It makes a lot of sense to me. I understand Jesus. It makes a lot of sense. That's a central figure. I, I, I distinctly remember this conversation. I do not understand the Holy Spirit. He doesn't make sense to me. And that's one of the reasons I'm afraid of him, if I have to be completely honest. The Holy Spirit makes no sense to me. 
the Holy Spirit is a complete mystery. How can God himself dwell in human flesh? Because that's what we say the Holy Spirit is. We say God, God is, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, in fact, you know, in Acts, um, in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, uh, they come in after doing their deed, uh, and uh, Peter says, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit? You haven't lied to men. You've lied to God, is what Peter says, says to them. So why, why am I afraid of the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, you, you look around, and um, one of the reasons I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit is because I can't independently verify anything that he says. I can't, by objective reasoning, say, yes, that's true or that's not true. You know, you come to me and you say, I heard this from the Holy Spirit. Somebody else comes to me and says, I heard this from the Holy Spirit, and they're both two different things. I, I, who, I mean, try arguing with that. And that's why we have, oh, here's another denomination. The other answer to my question, Steve, what I, that I wanted to say, the reason we have so many denominations is because of the Holy Spirit. It's because we have, a, there's a move of God and, you know, God does mighty things. And the first thing that we do is what? Make a new religion out of it. <laughs> like, oh, that's the way God works. We just figured it out. <laughs> Yay me. All right, I'm well on the way to perfection because I now have the perfect formula for how to implement, you know, this walk of, of the Spirit. Um, you know, the Catholics did it. They said, oh, it takes, you know, separation from society and women and, you know, all the pleasures of life. And you have to separate yourself and go live in a monastery. And then, you know, that's how you're, you'll experience the Holy Spirit. And we've all seen these moves where people have said, this is the way. This is the way that you experience the Holy Spirit. But the one thing that I've read is, is I have dug through the New Testament in the last week trying to understand who is this guy that allows himself to be contained inside a human being dwelling within us. Who is this guy? He is mighty. He's the creator of the universe. He's the God of the universe. And yet he says, I'm going to come and dwell in you. It's amazing. So as I've looked through it, as I've looked at the, the New Testament and really just tried to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Why am I afraid of him? There's no formula. There's no formula given in the New Testament to experience the Holy Spirit. The closest formula we have is in Acts 2, where Peter says, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. But then the rest of Acts basically proceeds to break that model with people, you know, receiving the Holy Spirit without getting baptized. People getting baptized and not receiving the Holy Spirit. It's like, I don't know, you know, do you, you know... um, you know, people just getting filled with the Holy Spirit at random times. Um, so so I, as hard as I tried to look to say, here's how it works. Here's the way that you get filled with the Holy Spirit. I came up, I came up with very little. I did come up with one thing. And I'm going to 
going to share that with you. Um, um, we make a huge mistake when we put God in a box. And I think we learn that about every, I don't know, 10 years, maybe every year. I don't know. We just we keep relearning it. Um, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the second verse, says the Spirit of the Lord was moving on the waters of this brand new planet, I don't know, you know, this un, yet unformed um, uh, universe, the Spirit of the Lord was moving. And the Spirit of the Lord exuded this creative power. Like, life started flowing from the Spirit of the Lord. And, you know, one of the last things God did is he breathed into man a spirit, and the man came alive. Because wherever God's Spirit goes, life comes out of it. Um, and you can see that all through the New Testament. You can see God's Spirit bringing life. You can see God's Spirit, um, you know, Paul says at one place that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Um, um, Paul talks a lot about the gifts that come out of, 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 of the Holy Spirit. G- gifts of healing, gifts of tongues, gifts of prophecy, gifts of, of, of mercy. Um, uh, just This stuff just starts flowing out of people that get filled up with the Holy Spirit. And, and, you know, Galatians talks about it. Uh, uh, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the, these, the, you know, people get filled with the Spirit, and you can't contain it. You can't keep the Spirit of God bottled up inside of you. It comes out because it's gonna, you're going to explode if you don't, right? Because God is inside of you, and he's creating his life through you. Because that's just what God does. That's the kind of God we serve. He's the God that when he moves over the spirit of the waters, boom, a universe appears. I think it's 1 Corinthians 2. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 says, says um, nobody knows what's in their mind. You, you, you don't know what's in your own mind except your spirit. Your spirit knows what's in your own mind. And the only person who really understands the mind of God is the spirit of God. It's the only person. And then he says the most craziest thing. He says, but we have not received the spirit of the world. We have received the spirit of God. The only one who actually knows the mind of God. And we've received that. And, he's, and the reason he says we haven't received the spirit of the world, we've received the, the spirit of God, is he's, he's comparing that to, um, he's comparing that to uh, you know, the spirit of the world being my own wisdom, my, my ability to, to, to uh, communicate well. And he's saying that, that, that's not what it's all about. It's not about convincing arguments. It's about receiving the spirit of God. And, and then he says, because you know, two people share the same spirit of God, when they communicate, there's a connection between this, because they share the same spirit. They share the spirit of God. And that's why you, know, you, can, you can connect with people that are on the other side of the world, and suddenly you find common ground because of the spirit of God. Not because you both have you know, the same occupation or the same education. 
Um, Jesus, Jesus, at one point, he mentioned, um, he said, I think it's Luke chapter 11, he said, uh, he said, what father among you, if his son comes and asks for a fish, is he going to give a serpent? How much more will your heavenly father give his spirit to those who ask him? How much more? And then he, he immediately following that, he gives a story of a man who was afflicted by a demon. Uh, I think a, a, a man's son was afflicted by a demon. And, and Jesus healed, healed the man, uh, healed the boy. And then he said this. He said, he said, um, he said be careful. Uh, well, I, I don't know, forget the exact wording there. Um, he said, he said, um, it's, he said when, when, a, when an evil spirit leaves a person, um, um, and if, they, if he comes back and he finds the house swept and garnished, he's going to come back and bring seven more, more evil than himself. And I, and in reading that, I realized I always read that kind of independently. I read it independently of its context. But what if Jesus is saying there, it's not enough just to live a moral life. It's not enough just to get rid of the evil spirit. You need to ask your father to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You, you see that? You see that connection there? So, so you read over it, and it's easy. You know, it's, you know, I don't know. I think there's paragraph endings and stuff, and you just you don't see the connection. But I believe that, that, that um, Jesus has given us a warning against just living a moral life. In Ezekiel 37, um, chapter 37, it's a story that we probably are familiar with. In um, um, chapter 37, Ezekiel says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me in the spirit and set me down in a valley. It was full of bones. He led me around them, and behold, uh, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And, And he said to me, Son of man... Can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you'll know that I'm the Lord God. So I prophesied, I did as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh came on them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet. An exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. And therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise, from you, and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord God when I open your graves and raise you from the graves. And I will put my spirit within you. And you will live, and I will place you, in, place you in your own land, and you will know that I am the Lord God. Let me ask you this. What would you say the defining point of the New Testament is, the New Covenant? What is the defining point? I've already given you the answer, so I, you completely cheated. 
All right. I'm going to, I'm going to pull with Steve, and I'm just, not going to, I'm just going to stand here until somebody answers my question. But it's not a trick question either. If you can answer it wrong, I'll, I'll be happy to correct you. What do you think the most defining point of the new covenant is? Colin. The, re- the, the resurrection. Did somebody else just say the resurrection too? I knew that was going to come. And I was thinking about that. Why is the resurrection the defining point? All right. That probably, there's no good simple answer to that, so I'll answer it for you. Um, If you turn over to your Bible and open John chapter 14, um, actually maybe it's... uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, because if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I believe that... The resurrection is definitely one of the most defining points of the New Covenant. And it's probably split in hairs, but I think the Holy Spirit is certainly right there at the top. And I think the reason the resurrection is such a defining point of the New Covenant is because Jesus said, if I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. That's what makes the resurrection... That's one of the things that makes the resurrection uh, so important is because it, he ushered uh, that Christ's resurrection ushered in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was um, why isn't the new covenant just a new version of the old? We can we can so tend to treat it that way. It's just another list of things to do and not to do. I would say it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, changes us. I was reading an article um, yesterday, actually. I was reading an article, and 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 from a you know it was a religious uh, I forget the website. Um, uh, I, I assumed that it was from a Christian. I, I assumed the writer was, was a believer. And I was reading it through and I was like, this, this just doesn't make sense. Like, nothing about the article lined up with kind of a, it just, it wasn't that she was saying anything necessarily not Christian. It just didn't sound Christian, if that makes any sense. And, and so I went to the person's about page, and she said, I'm a secular religious writer. Um, so, okay, that helps me understand. My point is this. The Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy, the Holy Spirit changes who we are. The Holy Spirit changes how we show up in the world. Um, the Holy Spirit changes um, uh, um, the kind of men and women that we are uh, in ways that I think we can often 
miss or fail to appreciate. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit is not a lot of things. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. We mistake that. We assume that the Holy Spirit is a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not conviction. The Holy Spirit is not your pastor. It's not your spouse. The Holy Spirit is not... I listened to uh, a podcast uh, a few days ago where a man was literally screaming, like, like full-on screaming behind the pulpit um, for a long time. And, and then uh, he proceeded to say, some of you, uh, I made some of you uncomfortable. And the reason you're uncomfortable is because the Holy Spirit was speaking to you. And I, that is, I would say that's just absolutely false. Not because the Holy can't, Spirit can't speak through a screaming man. I'm not going to put God in that box either. But to just say that because a man's screaming at you, that's the Holy Spirit, is ridiculous. Um, the Holy Spirit is not a screaming man, behind, even if he happens to be on the stage behind a pulpit. Um, the, the Holy Spirit, we can mistake things. as We can mistake the Holy Spirit to be things that the Holy Spirit is not. Um, so what is the Holy Spirit? I just said what it's not. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. We can... We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can spurn the Holy Spirit. God, God said, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, we, we, we say, well, you know, we, we kind of, and we're in this holding pattern of, well, I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit. He's just going to kind of take over me. You know, it's going to, you know, like, as if the Holy Spirit's just going to grab you one day in some irresistible kind of way. And you're going to have no choice but just comply. That's not the Holy Spirit either. I've never seen, biblically, the Holy Spirit do that, except in one case. And maybe that's Paul on the road to Damascus. But if you read the story, God even said to Paul, he said, Saul then, he said, listen, the only reason I had to do this to you is because you wouldn't listen to me. It's the only reason. The only reason Paul had a Damascus experience is because he was too stubborn to listen otherwise. He said, how long will you kick against the pricks? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will not force himself into your heart. I said, I said, there's no, I said that there is no uh, formula. The only formula I could find, if you want to call it a formula, is that God seems to fill with the Holy Spirit to the degree of our surrender. That seems to be the formula. Like, I hate to even say that, because that just seems, that, you know, maybe that's an oxymoron, but... Um, you know, Paul, uh, Peter in Acts 2 said, um, uh, uh, um, hold on, let me find it. Uh, uh, he said, Sorry, it's Acts 5. 
And it says, Acts 5, 32, it says, We are witnesses to these things, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Throughout the, throughout the Bible, uh, throughout the New Testament, um, the Holy Spirit, in fact, even as, John, even as John describes the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 14, um, uh, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to ask the Father, he'll give you a helper. That's the logical flow. If you love me, here's what's going to happen. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is given as a response to my surrender to him. Um, you know, Jesus at one point was described as a man whom the Holy Spirit was given to without measure, meaning kind of unlimited access to, right? I guess, you know, I don't know if that's a good uh, uh, paraphrase. Um, um, Sometimes I feel like making the Holy Spirit conditional on my surrender makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Like, as if maybe maybe we've grown a little bit entitled to God has an obligation to give me the Holy Spirit, um, and that's just that's just you know you know that's just the way it works. Um, and, and 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 we you know I, I talked to you a little bit about. I mentioned in my journal, I wrote, I'm afraid of the Holy Spirit. So I had to, I had to process through that a little bit. What, what is that? Why am I afraid of the Holy Spirit? And should I be afraid of the Holy Spirit? And, and it was, you know, maybe a, a week after that, I, I was I kind of, I was just discouraged. I, just, I was just discouraged. I felt like I had zero, I, I, was, I was just kind of, kind of, uh, what the word is um, purposeless does that make sense you ever feel that way and I was just kind of just kind of wandering through life like god where, where are you at what's you know I don't know maybe I'm my my living in sin somewhere am I you know completely messed up and misguided so just kind of asking myself some questions I was going on a walk and I realized I just got done telling the Holy Spirit I was just afraid of him maybe he's just letting me realize Maybe he's just giving me a little glimpse of what the Holy Spirit does in my life. Uh, Daniel mentioned this morning a verse that uh, I was going to bring out. Uh, I think it's Philippians um, 1, maybe one thirteen, where, or maybe it's 2.13, uh, where uh, Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who works in you, both to will and to do his, his good pleasure. And, and John, as, as John is introducing Jesus in John chapter 1, he says, he says, people that are walking in the light have no problem coming to the light because then it will be seen that all their works have been done in God. And so what am I trying to say? I think sometimes we constrain the Holy Spirit to being this event of filling where the Holy Spirit comes and he's... He, in you and motivating you in ways that you wouldn't be otherwise, you know, otherwise motivated. And, and I'm not saying that's not the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that at all. But, but, but I am saying that I think there's also a, a sense in which that right now, you, did you know you're here because of a miracle? You're sitting in this room because of a miracle that we all believe in, a series of miracles that we all believe in. You, 
Did you, did you think about that this morning? We're sitting in this room because we believe that there was a baby boy born to a virgin. A data point that's independently ridiculous. Right? But we believe it, and so we're sitting here. And then, not only that, we believe that this man grew up, walked the world, and did amazing things, and was killed, and rose again. And then vanished from earth. That's what we believe. We, we're here because we believe in a miracle. But when it comes time to believe that this same God takes up his habitation in his temple that looks like you, we look in the mirror and say, I don't know about all that, right? Right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy. But, but it's biblical. It's true. It's true that God has put his spirit in you. And yet, because we, we don't have the faith to believe it, we think, oh, I, I got nothing of value. But you do. Because the Bible says that his spirit was the down payment, the deposit. He saw such value in you. He came and put himself inside of you. He says, I'm coming back for you. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians. Um, John says this, I, you know, we'll come and we'll make our home with him. It's as biblical as it gets. And so, so why don't we start every day with just a recognition of the fact that I am unbelievably filled with the Holy Spirit today. What in the world does God want to do through me today? Just a position of surrender. How does God want to use me? In light of that, what what? What is it that I should be doing? Every place the Holy Spirit goes, he leaves behind him a trail of life. Every place he goes, he leaves restoration. You know, one place, Joel, he talks about, you know, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the son. You know, it's just this stream of life and restoration, generosity, because God is all of those things. And so his nature, once planted in you, starts to come out. And we can't contain it. Goodness. Um, well, I haven't even started on uh, the, the passage I was going to visit today. Um, Paul says, in the New Living Translation, he says, he says it this way, don't get drunk with wine because that's just going to ruin your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you're going to have songs and hymns and spiritual songs and you're going to give thanks to everything in the name of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things that we can come under the control of. There's a lot of other spirits that we can allow to control us. Paul is inviting us to come under the control of the Holy Spirit every day. Not the power of wine or drugs or anything else. Uh, come under the control of the Holy Spirit and let that change us. 
Paul talks a lot about gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And a lot of times when the Holy Spirit comes up, the first thing we go to is, you know, oh, well, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit and there's signs and wonders and all of this. Um, that's all there. But what is fascinating to me is in this order of, in this order of priority, Jesus said, don't even rejoice that you cast a demon out of somebody. If you want to rejoice about something, be happy that your names are written in heaven. I, and, and so when I read that, and then I read greater works are you, you, you're going to do because the Holy Spirit is in you, then, then, then the, you know, it kind of frames everything. What, what's important to Jesus is actually not people, lame people walking. Like, believe it or not, what was important to Jesus was, was honestly not that the that, that demons were cast out. It was that people had eternal life. That's what was ultimately important to Jesus. And uh, what was I going with all that? I don't remember. Um, I know where I was going. Paul talks about, 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about all of these gifts that the Holy Spirit brings, which I think is amazing. Like, the Holy Spirit shows up and he brings gifts with him. Because it's not enough just for God to be inside of you. He's going to bring, bring, bring some gifts with him. So the Holy Spirit comes, he brings gifts, which is con- perfectly consistent with the nature of God, right? He's just such a generous God. He shows up, life comes out of him, okay? And then Paul says, he goes into really, even from a secular standpoint, one of the most beautiful descriptions on love, 1 Corinthians 13. And, and it's almost like it's dropped in the middle of nowhere, Right? Because then 1 Corinthians 14, he just picks right up on gifts again. Um, but what's the point in all of that? The love chapter says, if I have every gift in the world, but I miss one critical component, there's no point. And, and, and I think as I, look at, as I look at the Holy Spirit and I look at gifts, the greatest gift that comes from the Holy Spirit is the gift of love. And that's exact, Jesus, John 14, John 14, uh, 18. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He wasn't talking to orphans. But we're all orphans. We all need reconnected to our Heavenly Father. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. And he proceeds to say, explain the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul, uh, Romans 8 talks about, um, the Holy Spirit empowering us to say, you know, to call, call on our Father. Uh, forget the exact language there. It escapes me right this second. But my point is this. Of all things that the Holy Spirit does, the greatest way that he wants to change us all is a reminder of who we are in Christ. A reminder that you've been redeemed. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the eternal life that's been sowed in you, the deposit on eternal life that's been sowed in you. Does that make sense? All right. I'm finished.